Welcome to Word at Nine, a podcast dedicated to lifting up the voices of student preachers at Yale Divinity School. I'm your host, Christy Stang. Today we welcome Josh Huber as our preacher. Josh is in his second year at YDS, and he's seeking ordination in the Episcopal Diocese of Missouri. Currently, he has the honor and joy of interning at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in New Haven, where the sermon for today was originally preached. Let's dwell with a couple passages of scripture from the Palm Sunday lectionary before we hear from Josh. First, a reading from Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11a. When they were approaching Jerusalem, at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it, and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. Second, a reading from Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9. While he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard, and she broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. But some were there who said to one another in anger, Why was the ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than three hundred denarii, and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you, and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. The Word of the Lord. Josh, thank you for bringing the Word today. God who dwells among us to bless and save all that is, Awaken us to listen. Amen. In today's Palm Sunday reading, Jesus is greeted in kingly procession with a royal welcome as he arrives to Jerusalem for the Passover. This type of royal welcome, cutting vegetation of all sorts to wave it in praise, throwing cloaks on the ground, singing or shouting psalms and hymns, had extensive, popularly understood historic roots in Jesus' day. This was the proper way to welcome a king. This was the type of celebration and excess that was due the arriving deliverer, the son of David, the long-awaited Messiah. 
So the people carry on, lavish even, excessive in their rejoicing and expectation, loudly singing out and hollering, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor, David. Notably, this scene occurs in the context of Passover, a celebration that at its core commemorates Israel's deliverance from slavery and bondage in Egypt. Celebrating Passover under foreign Roman rule and occupation, the circumstances of the Jewish nation in Jesus's time, was chock full of tension between the Roman reality and Jewish expectation. On the one hand, the Roman authorities were sure to make their presence known with an increased military police presence and the enforcement of clear boundaries governing what the crowd of worshipers may and may not do during Passover. On the other hand, the Jewish hope of freedom at Passover permeated the air like the thick smoke of holy incense, like the scent of renewing rain borne on the wind during a time of desperate drought. As Jewish pilgrims from Palestine and all over the ancient world came together in Jerusalem to sacrifice, worship God, and affirm the bedrock truth of God's sure deliverance ever drawing nearer. And in both hands was held the tension between law and order and the hoped for liberation. It is into this tense environment that Jesus enters Jerusalem, hailed as a long awaited king and deliverer, the son of David, the chosen Holy One, the anointed one of God, the Messiah, who is to set Israel free from Roman rule. And immediately following this triumphant entry, Jesus mostly does what the people might expect from the coming Messiah. He openly challenges the ruling religious authorities, those most aligned with Roman power, by driving the money changers and animal sellers out of the temple. He bests these same religious leaders in open dispute in front of an adoring and amazed public. He even prophesies the future. Then, Having accumulated all this potential religious and political power, all this social capital, all this proven prophetic authority and possible ability to lead a unified Jewish front toward their liberation from the Roman occupiers, after appearing to take up all this hope and weight of glory at the perfect time, at Passover, Jesus simply heads off to a dinner at a friend's house. And it is there that Jesus is sitting, presumably eating, when a woman comes with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of pure nard and breaks open the jar and pour, pours the ointment on Jesus's head. Now, this surprising occurrence makes some at the table angry. They question why this woman would waste such valuable ointment in a, such a ridiculous manner. After all, this jar could have been sold and the proceeds given to the poor on Jesus's behalf. Jesus, though, tells everyone to leave her alone. They obviously aren't that concerned with the poor as they sit around feasting with him. And this woman has actually done a good and beautiful thing. She has anointed Jesus before he will be crucified and buried. Now, to be clear, 
Mark doesn't say anything about the woman's hair, peers, emotions, moral character, identity, or actions, except that she, a woman, came, break, broke open a very expensive jar of ointment, and poured that ointment on Jesus's head. That's it. Anything else we might associate with this woman and this anointing story does not come from Mark and is not part of Mark's gospel story. In Mark's telling, this woman, a sort of every woman, simply referred to as a woman, is shockingly cast in a role of power and prophetic primacy as she anoints Jesus. So she is like the prophet Moses, anointing Aaron high priest. She is like the prophet Samuel, anointing David king. She is like the prophet Elijah, anointing Elisha as his successor. She is even like the Holy Spirit, anointing Jesus at his baptism. She is, in short, given the exceptional honor of literally making Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one, for that is what Messiah means. And with what devotion and abundant love she performs this prophetic task. She arrives with an alabaster jar of pure nard to a dinner where she is presumably not invited and very much not welcome. And after having broken into the gathering, she breaks open, shatters that very expensive jar and pours its contents on Jesus's head. Oh, what an anointing. All well and good, but maybe you're thinking, how did we get here? Doesn't this anointing story feel pretty distant and unrelated from Jesus's Palm Sunday triumphal entry? Well, in the Gospel of Mark, this anointing actually serves as something of a direct balance or counterpoint to the royal welcome Jesus receives at the first Palm Sunday. For if Jesus's palm-waved, psalm-sung entry into Jerusalem marked the moment that people recognized him as the potential Messiah, Savior, and King of Israel, then this dinner anointing at Simon the leper's house marks the moment where it becomes crystal clear that Jesus has absolutely no intention of being the Messiah, the people, both the masses and his closest followers want him to be. This clarity comes through here in the simple offense of Jesus being anointing, again, being literally made Messiah by a woman. For we should understand, to a significant extent, a Messiah, an anointed one, be they a priest, a king, or prophet, is only as good, as powerful, as clearly God-ordained as the person anointing them. To a large extent, one listens to and respects Aaron because he was anointed by Moses. One listens to and respects David because he was anointed by Samuel. One listens to and respects Elisha because he was anointed by Elijah. One listens to and respects Jesus himself because he was anointed by the Spirit of God. Yet here we have simply a woman. No credentials, no exploits no specified prophetic relationship to God, no social status or standing, not even worthy of a name. And because who anoints you matters so much, what could possibly be expected from a king, a messiah, 
an anointed one ordained by such a one as this, just a woman. So it is that at this dinner, in this anointing, where the room suddenly bursts into bloom with new sensations, where the space suddenly smells like a funeral parlor, where the whole world suddenly seems to fill with a profusion of worship and tangible love, where all present can finally see and hear and smell, and because the scent is so overpowering, actually taste the difference between their expectations and Jesus's proposed kingdom of God, his vision of Messiah, what he means to be and to do as the anointed. It is at this dinner, by accepting this anointing, that Jesus as the Messiah finally, firmly, and forever affirms the truth he had been incessantly telling anyone who would listen since before his transfiguration. Yes, I am the Messiah, the anointed one, but that doesn't mean what you think it means. It means suffering and death. It means bearing a love so offensive and threatening the corrupt powers of this world must either kill it or be overcome. It means a killed love so potent it cannot stay dead and will still overcome. How offensive and threatening that love oft times appears. Not just in Jesus's time, but still today in a world where, for example, the vast majority of self-professed Christians find themselves in worshiping communities where women still cannot be ordained. Yet again, let us take note here in Mark, in the midst of this gospel, in the midst of this good news, our Lord and Savior, the Son of God, the Messiah, is literally ordained, anointed to his highest calling and office by a woman, an everyday, ordinary, unnamed woman. That's offensive and threatening to so many status quos. Yet, Lord, have mercy, is it ever good news? It is good news, for we in the church are yet tempted to include and exclude based upon arbitrary identity markers and oppressive standards for who is welcome at the table. It is good news because our own church, the Episcopal Church, however much we have succeeded in welcoming others, have lost and still do lose folks, good folks, grace-filled folks, folks who live in lavish love unapologetically because we want them to apologize or contextualize or otherwise tame the lavishness of that very love before they ever show up to our churches. It is good news because it speaks of a God, a Messiah, an anointed one, a King who has come to deliver us not just from oppressive political power, but from all the ways we willingly fail to understand and behold and hold the truth of the gospel meant for our liberation and complete freedom in grace and love. It is good news because it speaks to the God who helps us to taste and see and smell and feel and know that she is good, beyond the limits of our sensation, good, beyond all we could ask for and imagine, good good, so good. Yes. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the one anointed by a woman. 
Blessed be this Jesus, our anointed Lord and love. Amen. This has been Word at Nine, a podcast dedicated to lifting up the voices of student preachers at Yale Divinity School. Thank you for listening.